If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, all over this here nation. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of this program, you can call in. I want to talk about the Democratic Convention. You people want me to talk about the the AJC story on the, the what the White House says about Georgia. I guess I'll let you guys dictate. I, I say that that somewhat humorously, but the, the amount of people I've gotten who have reached out to me uh, in a, really since yesterday when the story broke, I'm I've lost count. It is several dozen people uh, because yesterday I pointed out the good news in Georgia, and the good news is that the viral trend in Georgia really genuinely is headed in the right direction. Uh, we have uh, we crossed the peak of the virus in July. We have been on steady decline ever since here in the state. Uh, if you want, you don't have to believe me on this. If you text the word "data" uh, to three three seven seven seven, I will send you back the link. You yourself can see the Department of Public Health data on this, uh, and it shows remarkably that the state is in viral decline. Uh, in particular, the date of report is trending down, but more particularly, the date of onset. Uh, which is based on when the viral symptoms occurred, we're seeing a steady decline in the state of Georgia. In the 14-day window and the seven-day moving average, uh, the high was on July 11th of 4,338 cases. We're now down to about 2,326 cases. Uh, This is all very good news for the state of Georgia, and we should be willing to take the win here. In fact, if you look at the New York Times data, the New York Times data is the most comprehensive in the nation. It notes that there has been a 17% decrease uh, from an average of two weeks earlier in the nation, and Georgia is one of the states where the virus genuinely is in decline in the state. Uh, In the uh, last 14 days of the seven-day moving average, Georgia's been steadily declining in the virus. But along comes the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and uh, the AJC has a pretty big story that a, a White House briefing says that Georgia is actually leading the state in or leading the nation in infections. Uh, Let let me read you this. Uh, Georgia reported the highest rate of new cases of the coronavirus in the country in the seven days ending on Friday. President Trump's coronavirus task force said in its latest report, urging the state again to take stronger action to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Though conditions in some areas of Georgia have improved modestly in recent weeks. The White House Coronavirus Task Force said Georgia remains in the red zone for severity of the outbreak as measured by rate of case growth and test positivity. Georgia's small gains are fragile and statewide progress will require continued expanded and stronger mitigation efforts, including in all open schools. Now, I want you to know that state public health officials actually fairly vehemently deny 
that this is the case. And I've talked not just to the partisans, but actually to the state experts. There is concern in parts of rural Georgia. In fact, if you text data to 33777, one of the things you will see is a heat map that shows where you have uh, major swings in cases. And you do, in parts of southeast Georgia and south central Georgia, have major hot spots in cases over the last two weeks. Uh, you've got, for example, um, I- I- Appling County and Jeff Davis County and Ben Hill County, Bleckley County, Lawrence County. Uh, these are areas, if, if you're picturing a map of Georgia with the interstates, these are areas to the east of 75 and to the south of I-16. You can actually somewhat uh, trace these areas. And then, of course, there's an outbreak in Chattahoochee County, which is just south of Muskogee. And these are rural parts of Georgia where the virus largely avoided for some time and has suddenly made inroads and is spreading. And there are significant cases. So, for example, in the last two weeks per 100,000, there are 1,142 cases in Appling County. Now, there aren't 1,142 cases in Appling County. That's just what it would work out to to be per capita, uh, per 100,000. There are a total of 814 confirmed cases total in Appling County. Uh, But there is definitely a surge happening in southeast Georgia. In metro areas in the state, I mean, let, let let me just put this to you. Cases per 100,000, that is the best measure. How many people per 100,000 in population have coronavirus in the last two weeks? In Fulton County, it's 295. In Cobb County, it's 342. In Paulding County, it's 217. In Forsyth County, it's 234. In Cherokee County, it's 395 people per 100,000 in the last two weeks. So 395 or less. Now let's go down to Southeast Georgia. Ben Hill County, 1,141. Coffee County, 567. Jeff Davis County, 984. Toombs County, 826. Uh, Appley County, 1,142. Evans County, 870. Bleckley County, 1,106. Chattahoochee County, 1,349. Now, those counties, some of them, again, that's per capita, cases per 100,000. The virus has exploded in parts of the state where it did not. There is some, there is growing scientific thought. Uh, MIT is now the latest institution to produce research on this, uh, that the the virus, that this virus in particular, when it spreads to about 20% of an area's population, begins to recede, and it has done so in, in areas uh, in it, when you take into account the unknown undiagnosed cases, more likely than not, it has done so in the metro area, but is only just now beginning to infest those areas of southeast Georgia. Even Bibb County, where I am, uh, is a hot spot with 645 cases per thousand in the last two weeks. But that's actually the county still uh, is headed trended in the right direction. Bibb County is. Uh, Bibb County has largely plateaued. There's been a little bit of a spike in the last last couple of days. But it is largely plateaued. And in fact, if you look, what the picture in Bibb County looks like is exactly what it looks like when you flatten the curve. And that's what they told us. We needed to flatten the curve. And what would flatten the curve? 
Uh, flattening the curve would not mean the virus would go away. It would mean that hospitals would be able to build up resources so that when the virus did begin to spread, uh, it was able to spread in ways that could be contained and controlled. And, and that's what the graph in Bibb County looks like. Um, I, I think the collective freakout is problematic uh, in a lot of places. Uh, I, I think it's unfortunate we're seeing stuff like that. There are parts of the st- state where the virus is running away. Appling County is surging fairly significantly. Uh, but even there, you're talking about 31 confirmed cases on August 14th. A l- 31 cases on August 12th, 31 cases on August 14th. On August 9th, there were only 23 cases. On August 1st, there were 29 cases. Uh, on the 17th, there were 17 cases. Now, one of the things we're also seeing in the state that is skewing some of the data, and a couple of people I talked to think the White House may be confused on this point, is that Georgia does have a backlog of data. Now, the, the White House in and the, the White House report is fair and, and open about the fact that we as a state uh, have not done as good on testing of late as we should, but we're doing over 20,000 tests a day and the percentage of positivity, though the, the testing rate has largely stayed the same, the percentage of positivity has declined and that's good. Uh, the percent positive is uh, 10.7%. It's been down to 8.2% as of late. It's headed in the right direction as we continue the number of tests. So if you're doing 30,000 tests a day, which is about what George has been doing, I said 20, it's actually 30, 30,000 tests a day. And your positivity rate goes from 15% to 8% and you're doing 30,000 tests a day. Well, you can see that the trend lines for the virus are actually good. Now the total confirmed cases reported today, for example, uh, thus far is 2,873 with 296 hospitalizations. But the confirmed reported cases today are not necessarily cases of people, and this is the thing that gets everyone confused, including seemingly those in the White House. Your confirmed cases today are not cases that are necessarily active. They can't, there's a backlog in the system with some labs. So for example, I, I, I know for certain I've been able to confirm the details. I know someone who had symptoms of the virus in July, went and took a test, never got test results back, and self-quarantined for 14 days, felt exceedingly better, uh, and a week later, so three weeks after taking the test, after he, he got the test after symptoms presented, three weeks later, he got the test back. He's in August. So one of his, that guy's report came uh, the second week of August, but his actual date of onset was in July. So the state moved the test to the July statistics, but the media reported the his, his number in August, and that, that paints an inaccurate picture. On ta- top of that, though, there's something else we need to be mindful of. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has released, interestingly enough, based on survey data, where people's belief about the virus collides with their data. Actually, I take that back. It's a Franklin Templeton uh, financial report. They surveyed people, and they compared it to the the CDC data. So, for example, most people believe that uh, 50% of the people who die are age 45 or higher. 
that's not actually true. The number of people aged 45 to 54 who die of coronavirus is only 5%. 55 to 64 is 12.2%. 25 to 34 is 0.7%, and age 24 and below is only 0.2%. According to Americans, Americans believe that 57% of people age 55 and older die. And the rest of that is is people under 55. So Americans believe that 57.7% of the people who die of coronavirus are 55 and older. And that um, that 40 some odd percent, 43% of the people who die are under the age of 45 or under the age of 55 rather. The actual number is 92.2% of the people who die are over the age of 55. 92.2% of the people who die are over the age of 55. Breaking it down more precisely, 80% of the people who die are over the age of 65. And 12.2% of the people who die are 55 to 64. Americans' perceptions about the virus are wrong. Listen, the virus is bad and it kills people. But on the other end of the spectrum, and this is where schooling comes in, on the other end of the spectrum, the flu kills more elementary school kids than this virus does. If you are under 24 or younger and you get the virus, only two-tenths of 1% will die. With the flu, it's actually much higher. Now, overall, this virus kills more people than the flu. Overall, this virus infects more people than the flu. Everyone wants to say this is just a bad case of the flu. Actually, it's it's worse than the flu. And the older you are, the more likely you are to to have uh, bad side effects and long-term side effects. And and as you age, you're more likely to die. Uh, Calling it the flu is a a misnomer. It, it, It doesn't comport with the science. But it doesn't comport with the science easier to think we're having mass casualties uh, of 20-somethings and, and, and teens and, and elementary school kids here because we're not. Uh, in other words, the science does suggest you can get your kids back to school. The science also suggests if your kids get sick, they're not going to transmit it to parents. If, if they're Particularly if they're elementary-age school kids, they're not going to transmit it to their parents. There are ways to move forward. Now, he, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I didn't want to bring this up. I, I wanted to start. Believe it or not, I watched that Zoom call last night so you people didn't have to. Man, I actually watched it in the bathtub because I figured if I was in the bathtub and had a few beers and it got real bad, I could always drown myself. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I survived it. But this this is actually a, a this is significant in light of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution story that came out yesterday, the the. Uh, White House saying Georgia is leading the nation now in in cases. Here's what the data actually says. It's the infection rate. Georgia continues to have a lot of people who are infected. And when you actually take the new cases that are being reported by Georgia and assign them to the right day, which is not what the White House is doing, but it's what, like, for example, the New York Times is doing. This is a, This is very important here. And I, I've been beating this drum for months, and you've got to understand this point. What the White House looks at is the daily reports from Georgia. There may be 3,000 people reported today in Georgia who have the coronavirus, and the White House uses that number. No one else is using that number. 
what everyone else is doing is they're looking at when Georgia then reassigns those reports based on the date the test was given. There's a backlog in tests again from some of the private vendors. And Georgia reassigns those tests to the date they were actually given. And when you do that, what you see is the day-to-day decline continues in Georgia. And you don't have to believe me about this. At 1130, I've asked the United States Surgeon General to join me on this program to talk about this. He's going to join me and talk about this with you. So you don't have to take it from me. You can get it from an actual expert, the Surgeon General at 1130. So stick around. A a moment, if you will, please. I am about to make some of you mad. I'm recording this to put on Instagram. You know, I try on Instagram to find things that most people can relate to regardless of partisanship, uh, doing things that explain stuff. Because I I don't like to be partisan on Instagram. And and it's good for show promotion to put stuff up there. But I need to make a point, and it's going to make uh, people mad. Laura Loomer won her congressional uh, primary last night. And every single one of you should be appalled and ashamed. And the Republicans in Palm Beach, Florida, who voted for her, should be marched into the sea like the lemmings that they are. Uh, This is embarrassing. Uh, There are parts of this country where the Republicans seemingly have just given up. Now, Democrats have done this in the past as well, but right now, we know the media is deeply hostile to the president of the United States, and, and they will do anything they can for a gotcha moment. It, it's why the media is suddenly obsessed with Marjorie Taylor Greene up in northwest Georgia when the, they didn't even know her name two weeks ago, and suddenly they're obsessed with her. Well, they know who Laura Loomer is, and these Republican idiot voters in Florida, had, not 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 content with just having Florida man, decided they needed to give us Florida woman in the form of Laura Loomer, a woman who, after being banned from Twitter, chained herself to the door of, of the corporation, and now has people coming out saying, you her Twitter account back. She's a Republican nominee for Congress. She's also bat poop crazy. Um, I, I have no use for this woman. She is a grifter who is going to take people's money that could be used in serious races with serious people to get them elected. There are parts of the country that seemingly the Republicans have just given up and have decided they want to be entertained. And they are choosing as their nominees for Congress people who in prior times would have gotten jobs in the freak show tent at roadside carnivals. This woman has peddled conspiracy theories on mass shootings, among other things. She is an outrageous attention grabber. She wants to use the word provocateur. She just wants attention. And people keep giving her attention for reasons that that I have no idea. Uh, She's not going to get to Congress. This is a district where the Democratic former mayor of Palm Beach County ran uncontested in 2018. She's not going to win. Laura Loomer's not going to win against this woman this time. She's going to boost the profile of the Democrats she's running against. She's going to have a bunch of, of crazy people surrounding her. She did last night at her victory party. All of the 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 the, the freaks from the, the Isle of Misfit Toys who have rallied around Donald Trump, who should have stayed on the island, uh, were at her thing. It, 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 the Republican Party should be embarrassed by people like that. I'm embarrassed. I want conservatives to get elected to Congress, not grifters. I want conservatives who actually believe that the size and scope of the federal government is a problem, not that they should be able to use the power of the size and scope of the federal government for their own purposes, but should actually reduce it and gut Washington, D.C. Some of these people seemingly have just given up on on anything that matters, all of their core convictions and ideas, and and they just want roadside carnival barkers to get the nomination. Shame on these Republicans in Florida for doing that. I don't, the Democrat 
is going to get reelected. And now the Republicans have not only made her job easier, but they've also they have also deprived other people of money because all of the, the grifters and, and con men in, on the right are going to pour money into her race and deprive it from real races that actually matter. <sighs> okay. I, I, I feel better saying that. I, I'm I'm disappointed with these people in Florida. Um they they should have known better. Now when we come back, speaking of freak shows and carnival barkers, I watched that Zoom call last night, so you people didn't have to. I took one for the team. Y'all should love me for doing this. It was ridiculous. Wow. We'll discuss it when we come back. Do you guys remember Sean Duffy? Uh, started. He was the lumberjack dude on, on one of the real world uh, years. Uh, Republic got became a district attorney, uh, became a member of Congress, a friend of mine. He's going to stop by at 1030 to talk about the Democratic Convention. Well, I'm going to talk about it right. Y'all, I'm I, I I'm going to give you too much information. You'll just have to bear with me. Before I do that, I, I'm, I'm going to be bad about remembering my sponsors because I go on a roll. So let me just tell you first that the hour is brought to you by True Precision. Uh, they are a, a gun parts manufacturer. They're actually, y'all, they're artists. Uh, they're, they're craftsmen. And I, I, one of the things I love about this era right now are the number of people who, through the use of social media, who have just rare talent to be able to do things with their hands, uh, can build and smith things in ways that you and I cannot. I got a, um, I, I got a, um, a, a cleaver, a meat cleaver, handmade from a guy in Virginia the other day that I discovered on the internet, um, and it was fantastic. And I got a gun, a, a Glock 43X through True Precision that they uh, were able to modify and make and machine and smith. And it's just, it, it's a wonderful gun. It is my concealed carry. Now I got to get my concealed carry license again and, and the probate courts just, I don't even know that it's open. I can get down there, but in any of it, True Precision did it. And I've put up pictures on Instagram. I'll have to put it on the live cam again. But at some point I was at uh, Stoddard's in Atlanta uh, the other week at the gun range shooting it. And people were coming up to me asking me where I got it because it, it, the slide is camo. Um, the barrel, all of it is just fantastic. I, I, it, is, it is just really, really, really great stuff. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the work that they do, and I love that you can go to their website and you can buy the parts themselves. And and you, their website is true-precision.com. True-precision.com is the website. And you should go. If you put Eric in at your checkout as your checkout code, E-R-I-C-K, you get 10% off. So you can get a barrel, you can get a slide, you can get an upgraded trigger. You can do all sorts of modifications for your guns. They really are just amazing. Uh, and and everyone I've referred to them has had a, a positive. I, I literally, I have had zero complaints from the people who have gone to them. Every single person is impressed with their work. Uh, you should go to true-precision.com. Um, let's see here. Um, now, having to respond to someone, it's an emergency. I need to talk about this DNC thing. Now, let me give you my, my TMI bit, because this is important. I, I don't mean to cause you to have to have brain bleach, but you just need to know. I, I got to set it up for you. I took one for the team. I watched that Zoom call last night, so you people didn't have to. Y'all could go watch the Cubs play. I didn't watch my beloved Cubs last night because I watched the Braves on Monday, and I felt like I needed to take a pass on the Cubs just so I could see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez lose her nonsense on national TV, and it was it was something. So I I, I got I made it really hot, so hot. I was roast. I, I'm surprised I don't have cooked flesh on me. The bath water was so hot. It's wonderful. 
had a few beers, sat in there, watched it on my iPad. I figured if, if I filled the tub up enough, I could always drown if it got too bad. It, it, it got bad, but I didn't drown. I, I needed to be here and share with you. Y'all can be my therapist today. You may need therapy after me discussing sitting in the bathtub, having beers, watching Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez nominate Bernie Sanders. Oh, dear Lord, that was something. Good evening, bienvenidos, and thank you to everyone here today endeavoring towards a better, more just future for our country and our world. In fidelity and gratitude to a mass people's movement working to establish 21st century social, economic, and human rights, including guaranteed health care, higher education, living wages, and labor rights for all people in the United States. A movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia, and to propose and build reimagined systems of immigration and foreign policy that turn away from the violence and xenophobia of our past. A movement that realizes the unsustainable brutality of an economy that rewards explosive inequalities of wealth for the few at the expense of long-term stability for the many, and who organized a historic grassroots campaign to reclaim our democracy. In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo, and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont for President of the United States of America. And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Our planet is going to hit disaster if we don't turn the ship around. It's basically like there's a scientific consensus that, like, the lives of children are going to be very difficult. That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> Y'all, this woman ain't right. Um, so she, she was not there. NBC News, by the way, said she was going to endorse or that she endorsed Joe Biden and she went nuts. I mean, just just absolutely flipped out online over NBC saying that she did not endorse Joe Biden. She endorsed Bernie Sanders. That's why they gave her. It, it was a, a minute, 30 seconds that she had. Now, the reason they did it, of course, is this is a nominating political convention, and there were two people who got enough votes uh, and didn't suspend their campaigns. Bernie Sanders wanted to be heard, so he got a nomination in a second, and then they voted for Joe Biden. And it was a weird little moment. And listen, here, here's the thing. Um, it, it, it makes, they had to do it. They were required to do it. It is the process and the rules of the Democratic Party. And it was a format that worked for uh, being at a big convention hall. But it was very disjointed to have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and, and the UAW, former UAW, uh, United Auto Workers president, nominate Bernie Sanders. Now, he, the UAW president, avoided taking shots at the Democratic Party. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes out and essentially says that that uh, 
this party is not standing up for 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 all these groups of people and we need to destroy capitalism and and all that it is very clear that she is still far to the left of where Joe Biden and is and where he wants to take the Democratic Party. She's to the left of Kamala Harris on this stuff. I am told super reliably that uh, Kamala Harris does not have the time of day for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, thinks she is deeply problematic and dragging the party too far to the left. Even for Okay, when, when you're too far to the left for Kamala Harris, that should tell you something. Um, but nonetheless, she did that. She, she did that. And um, it was a very perplexing moment. Even for Democrats last night, I thought it was very notable following people on social media who were watching this, that even the Democrats were like, well, what the heck was this? I thought this was the Joe Biden convention. How dare she do that? She is just, uh, I mean, she's pouring gasoline on bridges within the Democratic Party, and it's going to come back to bite her. But then they had this moment. I want to play you this audio. It's a a, a Democratic activist who has ALS, um, the, the Lou Gehrig's disease, and he's slowly, his body is slowly withering away. He, he has lost his voice over time. I, I need to play you this and Chuck Schumer, and, and we need to discuss these things. Hello, America. My name is Audie Barkin. And I am speaking to you through this computer voice because I have been paralyzed by a mysterious illness called ALS. Like so many of you, I have experienced the ways our healthcare system is fundamentally broken. Enormous costs, denied claims, dehumanizing treatment when we are most in need. Since my shocking diagnosis, I have traveled the country meeting countless patients like me, demanding more of our representatives and our democracy. Today, we are witnessing the tragic consequences of our failing healthcare system. In the midst of a pandemic, nearly a hundred million Americans do not have sufficient health insurance. And even good insurance does not cover essential needs like long-term care. Our loved ones are dying in unsafe nursing homes, our nurses are overwhelmed and unprotected, and our essential workers are treated as dispensable. We live in the richest country in history and yet we do not guarantee this most basic human right. Everyone living in America should get the health care they need, regardless of their employment status or ability to pay. Even during this terrible crisis, Donald Trump and Republican politicians are trying to take away millions of people's health insurance. With the existential threat of another four years of this president, we all have a profound obligation to act. You know what, I, I'm just, I'm going to stop it there. I, I, let me play this Chuck Schumer audio. And then there, there, are, there are multiple points that need to be made. Let me tell you some of the things we do with President Biden, Vice President Harris in a Democratic majority. We will make health care affordable for all. We'll undo the vicious inequality of income and wealth that has plagued America for far too long. And we'll take strong, decisive action to combat climate change and save the planet. We will protect voting rights fight systemic racism in the criminal justice system and in our economy and restore a Supreme Court that looks out for people, not corporations. We'll rebuild our infrastructure and make sure every home from inner city to rural America has broadband. We will save the post office and once and for all defeat COVID-19, this evil disease. Um... Um, 
I, do y'all know that I, I well, maybe, maybe, maybe just, 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 just bear with me for a moment. You may not know this. You, you may be amazed, amazed and dazzled to learn this. But we have something in this country. It's called Obamacare. It, it was it was it was passed by a Democratic Congress that Chuck Schumer voted for, that that activist ALS guy campaigned for, that Barack Obama signed into law, that proudly. He, he gave he, he was willing to accept the label Obamacare because it was so good and we still have it. How is it how is it possible that the American healthcare system is in the gutter is trash is garbage is leaving people behind with 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 burdens for nurses and the old people in the nursing homes and our kids can't get covered and the disabled can't get covered and and people are dying in the streets because of health care in America. We've got Obamacare. The Republicans never got rid of it. The only change the Republicans made was to get rid of the individual mandate. They have not done anything else. To Obamacare. We have Obamacare. Obamacare is the law of the land, as the Democrats love to point out, until they don't. Suddenly, I mean, American healthcare is bad. American healthcare is terrible. American healthcare is awful. I mean, we've got to have a government. We have it. They gave it to us. Republicans campaigned on, we're going to repeal and replace. We're going to repeal. We're going to get rid of it. All we need is the House. Okay, you gave us the House, dudes. Now you got to give us it. All we need is the Senate. We gave us it. Okay, okay, okay. You got to give us the White House, too. You got to give us the White House. We gave you the House. We gave you the Senate. We gave you the White House. And we still have Obamacare. You people have never repealed it. You've done nothing except get rid of the individual mandate. That's the only thing you've done. No one believes John Roberts is going to toss it out as unconstitutional. We Obamacare is the law of the land. And you people on the Democratic stage got up there last night to tell us what a disaster health care is in America. If it's a disaster, it's your disaster. If it's a disaster, you gave it to us. If it's a disaster, it's your law. It has Obama's name on it. Good gracious. The amount of hypocrisy from you people on this to come out there last night and tell us that the world is going to hell in a handbasket because of health care in America. It's your damn bill. You put it into law. I just, I, it is, will the, are the Republicans going to be willing to call them out on this? I, I assume that someone somewhere will point out that all the lamenting of America's healthcare system and, 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 and the lack of insurability and, and access to healthcare and poor people dying in the streets, not because of the virus, but because of health insurance, that that's all the Democrats fault because the Republicans have done absolutely jack, absolutely jack. Uh, to, to, to change it. it is, it's just, it, it's phenomenal to me, phenomenal to me to watch Democrats get up there and badmouth the very health care system that they themselves passed. 
as if somehow this is Donald Trump's health care law. No, 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 it's, it's actually, it's actually, it's actually called Obamacare. And the Democrats used to like it until they were no longer in power to control it. Never create a system. Never create a system that you don't want the other side to be in charge of. To the extent our healthcare system in America is terrible, it's because the Democrats designed it to be terrible. Republicans have done nothing to change it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. I I, I, I want to say something. Yeah, I'm I'm using my short segments to just drive away my. I I apologize to to the program directors of America who run this program. There is a really, really, really awful trend in politics right now, and it's driving me insane. Your inability to say someone is a nice person because you disagree with them politically or they've done some political stunt you find offensive. You don't know the person. You, you've never hung out with them. Uh, you, you, you don't have a relationship with them, but you're, you, they've got to be an awful person because they did some political stunt or said something or took some position you don't like uh, because they're a sinner and you're not. I get this all the time when I say, for example, I, I've got Democratic friends uh, who, that well, yep, they, they believe in abortion rights. Well, how can you be friends with this person? They want to kill kids. I'm friends with a lot of sinners, believe it or not. I, I, I hang out on a daily basis with sinners. In fact, when I'm alone in my house, I'm, I'm hanging out with sinners still. Uh, and, and you can't build a relationship with anyone and, and, and call them to Christ if, if you're not going to be friends with people who aren't sinners. Uh, it just it, it, it perplexes me and frustrates me to no end. Last night, I said Joe Biden and Joe Biden are very nice people, and they actually are very nice people. Uh, I, I have only in passing met them, but I know a lot of people, Republican and Democrat alike, who know the Bidens, who, including Republicans who will never vote for the man for president, who genuinely have affection for them because of the kindnesses they've done to people behind the scenes. I know and I've talked to several military families. Every single one of them voted for Donald Trump. But they love the Bidens because Jill Biden personally intervened to help them when she was second lady of the United States in ways that no one else could to help the family and has insisted that these people never come public and never publicly tell their story because she did not want her to be seen as political. She genuinely wanted to help the people. And I don't care who you are. Private charities, I, I, I think that people who are privately charitable in that way and don't want the attention and the credit for it, you'll never hear these stories. That's commendable. And you can't call this person nice because, oh, that they they said something heated on the campaign trail. They said something not nice. Uh, when we know about people, it, 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 let me put it this way. None of you actually know Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But you like Donald Trump because you share his convictions, a man who cheated on all three wives, his third wife while she was pregnant, and said he wanted to grab women by their you-know-what and, and mocked a disabled reporter. You you like him. You think he's a nice guy. I actually think he's a very nice guy. I've, I, I've hung out with Donald Trump, unlike any of you probably. I've actually hung out in his office for, for several hours with him. He's a, he's a terrific guy. He's a hilarious. I, I, I enjoyed hanging out with Donald Trump. 
but you'll call him nice despite those things, and you'll say Joe Biden is not nice because he did things on the campaign trail you don't like. I just, you know, there's a difference between being nice and being good, and and we're talking about civic, civil good versus moral good. I think Bill Clinton is is not a good guy given what he's done in his his past. He's a nice guy. I know people who love the guy who who would would crawl over broken glass for him. They're so loyal to him because he was such a good boss. He was such a nice guy. It doesn't mean he's a good person. But you know what? You're not a good person either. You're a sinner. You you've fallen short of the glory of God. You're just you, you're a sinner in a different way, and and you don't like his sin. And I'm just I, I'm we we've lost this moral ability. Uh, in a, in our civic dialogues to be able to recognize that we're all sinners, we all fall short, we should extend grace to other people, we should be willing to be nice to other people, even those who aren't nice to us, and we should be willing to view others charitably in ways we would hope them to be charitable to us, given the things that we ourselves have done that could be defined by. And I'm not talking about let, let's go out and, and be besties with this person, I'm just saying Everything I know about these people, they're actually nice. They may not, you may not consider them good or moral or anything, but they're a nice person. And I'm sorry we've lost our ability in American politics to say that Donald Trump actually is a nice person or Joe Biden is a nice person because our politics have polluted our system of government and conversations. I just, oh, it frustrates me to no end. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode featuring Mitch Daniels, president of Purdue University, the former governor of Indiana. Daniels is a former governor. He was the previous director of the Office of Management and Budget, and he's a 2013 winner of the Bradley Prize. In this episode, you'll learn more about why Purdue was one of the first universities to announce its intentions to reopen, and hear some encouraging news about the students' response to returning. He also addresses the loneliness crisis among younger people and offers guidance to federal and state leaders on managing the COVID-19 pandemic. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. New videos appear weekly, so come back often, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be notified when a new one's posted. That is bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And yes, yet again, we have someone with a leaf blower right outside just as I come on radio. God bless them. The Georgia Bulldogs are expected to announce today that they'll have between 20 and 25% capacity at football games this season. That means some of you will be allowed to go. Now, I find this whole thing fascinating that we're somehow not allowed to vote in person. We, we've, we've, everything's got to be by mail in some states, and in those states they're also allowing tailgating at college football games. Uh, in, in South Carolina, in fact, Democrats who want mail-in balloting are saying they're going to go organize for it face-to-face at football games. I thought we weren't supposed to do face-to-face stuff. It, it, it's amazing how your 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 systems, uh, your views, all of that uh, revolve around your politics these days. No one's consistent anymore, except the Democrats who just want to expand government. Um, okay, okay, Sean Duffy. You know Sean Duffy, former congressman from Wisconsin. Uh, he and, and 
uh, Rachel, they've got, uh, gosh, how many kids are they on now? Seven or eight? They're wonderful, the wonderful dear people. He was on The Real World, just a super guy. Uh, he's going to join me at the bottom of the hour to talk about this and uh, talk about the Democratic Convention. And I've asked the Surgeon General to come on, Jerome Adams. He's going to join me in the next hour to talk about the uh, the virus and the AJC report about the out of control, whatnot, um, uh, virus in Georgia. They're claiming we'll we'll get to all of that. I want to spend a little more time with a little more focus than I gave in the last uh, y'all. You'll have to forgive me. I played Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez audio last hour. And it just, it, it, it breaks my brain every time I hear her. I, the, the, the level of hyphenization of America that this woman wants to engage in. And, you know, it's like she's one of the people who uses Latinx. Have you all seen the survey? Um, it, it, have, have you seen the survey? The, the, the survey is that only 3% of Latinos or Hispanic voters, and by the way, most Latino voters I know actually prefer the word Hispanic, but nonetheless, uh, most of them, like only 3% of them, I shouldn't say like, it actually is only 3% of them use the phrase Latinx. Now, this is very fascinating because if you listen to progressive politicians, particularly white progressive politicians, they use the phrase Latinx, Latinx, basically, Latinx. Um, and they don't want to use Latino and Latina. They don't want to use Hispanic. In fact, Democratic politicians will tell you don't use Hispanic because it's identified with the island of Hispaniola and they don't particularly like it. But most uh, people I know who are of um, Central and South American descent, they prefer Hispanic to Latino which is fascinating to me. Uh, in fact, you see this dichotomy often as Republican politicians talk about Hispanic and Democratic politicians talk about Latino. Uh, and, and we get a lot of that. Now, in Southern California, Latino seems to be more common, but in other states, it's Hispanic. It, it's just, it, it's, but none of them, regardless of whether you use Hispanic or Latino, none of them use Latinx. The only people who do are academics and progressive politicians. Literally 3% in a poll with a 3% margin of error. 3% of people who identify as Latino or Hispanic uh, even use Latinx. Uh, most of them, over 50% of them, have never even heard the phrase. And yet you see a bunch of white people and progressive politicians and, and left-wing uh, academics use this phrase over and over and over. I mean, if there's, if you want one major indicator of someone living in a bubble— it is their use of the phrase Latinx because literally no one uses the word except for progressive politician activists and white people, rich, white, secular, atheist leaders of the Democratic Party. The Elizabeth Warrens of the world were not pretending to be an American. By the way, I don't know if the Democrats were trolling us or not, but Elizabeth Warren spoke to the Native American caucus yesterday. She did. Notice that that's not getting no buzz in the media. Elizabeth Warren actually spoke to the Native American caucus. How? <laughs> and she uses the phrase Latinx. She is a, a white academic from Harvard. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does because she's a progressive politician. But normal people don't use that phrase, and that is a, a giant identifier. 
Now, there are now two different surveys that have shown that no one in the Latino Hispanic community uses the phrase. Only rich, white, secular atheists and progressive politicians and academics use that phrase and only 3% of them. So keep that in mind. The next time you hear someone use the phrase Latinx, that is a person who is in a bubble that does not relate to the real world. just, Just ridiculous. So in any event, that being said, I watched that sucker last night. It's like a bad Zoom call. I do have to say they did one thing right in that call. Program, whatever you want to call it. The roll call of the states was actually pretty awesome. Can can we all give the Democrats that at least? Normally, you have all these people packed into a convention hall with ridiculous costumes. The people in Texas all wear the same outfit. They all have big hats. Last night, I was actually disappointed in Texas. They did it in front of a protest wall in El Paso, and, and they weren't wearing big hats. Shame on Texas. The Texans are supposed to stand in front of the Alamo and wear big hats and have guns, even the Democrats, uh, when they nominate their candidate. And the Louisianians are supposed to be Cajuns in a swamp sucking the heads of crawfish when, with, with some Abita beer when they nominated it, and they didn't do any of that. But it was actually really cool. I'm confused, though, on the Northern Marianas Islands because the, the vote was supposed to be on Tuesday, August 18th, and it was daytime in the Northern Marianas Islands, which meant it should have been August 19th when they made their nomination, and so they were a day ahead of everybody, and they should have been excluded, but that, that's just technical, technical, technical details about the way the world works and the time zones. But nonetheless, it was actually the, the the roll call thing was good. And there was one other good moment. And this one actually interests me because I'm fairly certain we're going to start seeing this. One of the, the good moments of the Democratic convention last night was highlighting Jill Biden. Jill Biden Vice President Biden's second wife became his second wife through tragedy. Joe Biden's wife was, I mean, tragically killed in a car wreck. And Joe and Jill Biden got married thereafter, and she became the mom to his kids. Uh, And she was their mom. And... I I will not say anything disparaging about Jill Biden, even though we may disagree on politics. This is a woman who came into another man's life with pre-existing kids and took up the mantle of being called mom for those kids. Uh, she is a saint for doing that, whether you like her politics or not. Uh, a remarkable person. And the stories that I have heard of her behind the scenes, you know, she continued actually as a community college English teacher when he was vice president. She kept her day job uh, working at a community college. Uh, people refer to her as Dr. B. She's got a Ph.D. in English uh, and they refer to her as Dr. B. Uh, when asked who she was uh, very often at the beginning, she would tell people she was just a relative of Joe Biden's and the Secret Service agents uh, dressed in, in casual clothes. So people didn't realize what was going on. Uh, and they highlighted Jill Biden last night, and I thought it was was the one moment where even Republicans I was following along with on social media watching were like, you know what, they did good. That 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 was that was that was impactful for her. Why did they do that? You see, what you need to know is that Joe and Jill Biden actually are a team, and there is whether you believe it's true or not. 
there is a perception among people in Washington that President and Mrs. Trump are not, and that President and Mrs. Trump have a somewhat cold relationship. And I don't necessarily know that I believe that. I think Melania Trump is actually shy and that she, I'm told very reliably, she really doesn't want to be in Washington. She She's uncomfortable there, but she's grown into the job. I think she's a tremendous first lady. So, so don't hear me as being critical. It's just there is a perception that they are not close in the way that Joe and Jill Biden are. They're not a team in the way Joe and Jill Biden are. And so I do think that you're going to see the Democrats try to capitalize on that. And there's a point here I need to make that's going to make some of you mad because I know my audience and I don't mean to actually make you mad. I'm plenty comfortable making you mad on stuff, but I don't mean to on this. The president refers to suburban housewives. He he should, soccer mom, call them soccer moms, call them something. But he refers to them as suburban housewives. I know suburban housewives because technically I'm married to a suburban housewife. And most of my friends have suburban housewives. And whether you like it or not, suburban housewives do not like the image of men with their third wives, particularly when their third wife is as young and glamorous as Melania Trump is compared to her husband. And I think it's strategic. I do. First of all, it is a natural, loving relationship between Jill and Joe Biden. And and they collaborate so much. I mean, they go everywhere together. They do everything together. I think the Democrats are making a strategic play of highlighting that compared to what their Democratic perception is of Donald and Melania Trump. And obviously, the way for Donald and Melania Trump to combat this is to uh, be more public and open and together and collaborative on the campaign trail. And I don't know that Mrs. Trump is comfortable in that role, but she may have to get comfortable in that role uh, or at least put her best foot forward in this because I really do think the buildup of Joe, Jill Biden last night, by the way, I I, I did go back. Uh, Joe Biden, there was questions whether or not he said, I'm Joe Biden's husband. He actually said Jill, but it did sound like Joe. And, and I've talked to so many people now, I'm pretty sure he did say Jill, but it did kind of sound like I'm Joe Biden's husband, which was an awkward, awkward moment. But uh, the the Democrats really do believe that they've got an angle here in with suburban women. And the Trump campaign needs to be mindful of this little subliminal play that the Democrats intend to do with Jill and Joe Biden's message. They've got a captivating story to tell. They told it very well last night to bipartisan acclaim. Even Republican senators like Lindsey Graham were out there saying Jill Biden actually is a wonderful person. They're going to play that up. And the Republicans are going to have to figure out a way to respond to it because stuff like that resonates with suburban female voters. As someone who was a political strategist and ran campaigns in suburbs, let me tell you, loving husband-wife relationship plays real well, particularly when contrasted by candidate on his third wife. You, you don't hate me for saying it. That's just the reality that Republicans are going to have to deal with. I assume they'll have a plan. I hope they'll have a plan. Man, if you watch this Democratic show last night, I, I got a, I got an idea for the GOP I want to discuss with you when we come back. I got a, it's kind of funny. I was going to talk about this and, and, and a listener sent me this 
uh, graph on the effectiveness of masks out there and, and the least effective mask for people to wear is uh, a neck gaiter or neck fleece. You see people wearing those. Do you know why? It's actually uh, not wearing a mask is actually more effective than wearing. And I, and I see those everywhere, by the way. I, I see uh, a lot of guys wearing these. Now, if you don't know what they are, there are a lot of guys wear it for fishing. Uh, you, you put it down over your, your neck and you can raise it up to cover your mouth or you can raise it to cover your ears or part of your head. Uh, and it, 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 they call it a neck fleece or a neck gaiter, and it's actually less effective than no mask at all. And do you know why that is actually reading about this? Why on earth? Well, because these things are worn typically by people fishing, and they use fabric and a coating to reduce sweat and repel it from your face. And essentially what it does is almost like Teflon uh, in the coating is it beads up the vapor and expels it away from you. So you're actually using these things actually causes the, the, the vapor to turn into projectiles, microscopic projectiles, getting it away from your face. They are highly, highly effective at keeping your face covered so you don't get a sunburn and also not making you sweat to death like when you put a mask on. And so essentially you're 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 wearing a, a little cannon, a little virus cannon around your face when you wear these things because of the way it, it combines the water droplets or water vapor droplets and propels them away from you as quickly as possible to keep you cool. So the people who are walking around with the neck gaiters on, avoid those people because they're actually wearing essentially little Gatling guns of the virus with their face. It, it, by the way, by the way, by the way, this is actually an important point. Um, if you are a school administrator, you need to actually discourage wearing these things because I, I'm not actually kidding. The data at this point is really overwhelming that it's actually worse to wear one of these than to not wear a mask at all because they are so good at pulling water vapor and heat away from your face and expelling it uh, that they actually transmit water the emissions, water vapor emissions at a higher rate than not wearing a mask and, and do so in a more organized way to project them out further. And I see people with these all the time. I, I'm, a lot of my friends are wearing these instead of wearing masks. In fact, I've had several friends send me links and said, don't don't worry about your mask. Uh, you should use this instead. And, and I was actually going to. And then I started reading these the stories about the people wearing these things and, and the, the data now that has been studied. Now, let me give you a sourcing on this one um, that was just sent to me. Yeah, Centers for Disease Control. Let, let me blow up this. Um, I believe it's a it's university research. Yes, Duke University study with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine, Health Affairs, uh, and, and other information, also in the Journal of Physics of Fluids. Uh, the Duke research was not a large-scale clinical trial. The results can't be generalized, but now there have been duplicate studies done by other organizations finding the same thing. And, and again, if, if you just tune in, you know, y'all have probably, particularly in the South, you see it a lot. Uh, it's particularly men who are wearing them. And it, it's the it's the circles of cloth that you pull down over your face that you wear when you're fishing to keep yourself from getting sunburned. You can pull it up over your nose. You can pull it up over your ears to keep you from being sunburned. Uh, so you're not really wearing a hoodie. And 
they are treated uh, with essentially a, a Teflon-style product that helps beat up the water droplets and sweat that accumulates on your face and, and expels them out through the mask, uh, helping get the fluid away from your face. So you're, you're not miserable when you're out there with your face covered up while you're fishing. Well, the net result of that is if you're if you've got the virus, it's actually helping you transmit the virus uh, further in a more organized way in the water vapor than if you weren't wearing a mask at all. So don't wear those things. Don't wear them. If you're trying to keep the virus down, don't wear them. Um, also, just so you know, for those of you who are mass skeptics, uh, the state of Alabama has imposed a statewide mask mandate. And in areas where it is being strictly enforced, they have seen a more than 50% reduction uh, in the virus in just the last couple of weeks. Uh, now, you can say that's just natural or what, but they're attributing it to the mask. Um, so mass skeptics out there i i i don't want to beat a beat a dead horse on this but i i think people should wear masks uh and whatever you do don't wear the don't wear the the neck fleece the neck gaiter whatever you want to call it because they actually they're way worse than wearing nothing now when we come back uh sean duffy is going to join me i thought it was very interesting last night you didn't hear anybody say anything about the domestic violence out there. You didn't hear anybody talk about the police, defending the police. You didn't hear anything about taking on China. None of that stuff appeared on the Democratic stage last night. And what was one of the things that was interesting to me is you had all these people like Chuck Hagel and Colin Powell and John Kerry, uh, Republicans and Democratic elite alike, who have for years combined to ruin uh, American foreign policy, and somehow or another, we're supposed to believe those people. We're supposed to support Joe Biden because the people who have screwed up American foreign policy for the past two decades support Joe Biden. That's that's fairly well, a, I, I think, a big argument for uh, not supporting Joe Biden. Uh, the foreign policy that Joe Biden would give us is the foreign policy uh, that allowed China to get aggressive and allowed Russia to be re-emboldened. And I don't think we want those people anywhere near the foreign policy of this country. Remember, 2012, when Mitt Romney was warning the nation about Russia, these very same people were laughing at him as some sort of rube for believing that. And now suddenly those very same people who are laughing at Romney about Russia are saying we need to vote for Joe Biden because he'll take on Russia. I, how can you believe the people given their lack of credibility over the last 20 years when it comes to American foreign policy? I'll talk to Sean Duffy about that when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, thank you to Andrew Lister up in Cobb County who tells me that um, it, some researchers are questioning the accuracy of the research on the whole neck gator thing. So keep wearing them, I suppose, as, as it's somewhat disputed. There are a couple of studies, though, that suggest the way they propel water against you is uh, away from you is actually uh, too good. So in any event, uh, caution out there when it comes to the research now. We need to move back to the fiasco of life. There is no mention of China. There is no mention of burning cities across America. They, they wanted to defund the police. It was, it, was a, it was a very weird Zoom call, and I was happy to watch it for you so you didn't have to, and it's going to drive me to alcoholism if I have to watch this entire week. But uh, someone to share the misery with is a former congressman from Wisconsin, great guy, a wonderful family, Sean Duffy joining me. How are you? I am doing well, Eric. How are you? I'm great. It's good to hear from you. Um, I'm I'm just perplexed by this thing last night. You would think that China was not a problem, and I was amazed to watch all the people who've screwed up American foreign policy in the past 20 years, like Chuck Hagel and John Kerry, come out and say we need to support Joe Biden. 
You're, you're exactly right. And if you look at places, I'm sure in, in, in Georgia and Wisconsin and Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, um, we look at China, blue collar workers, people who put their boots in every day and know that if we lose because someone does something better than us, um, most Americans are fine with that. But if they beat us because they cheat us, that makes Americans mad. And they love Donald Trump for finally standing up and pushing back against China. Finally, we have a president who will do something about the rising threat, not just economically, but militarily that's coming from China. And you're right. Every president, whether Republican or Democrat, brings in the same kind of advisors. So you get the same policy, which means you don't do anything on China. So thank God for Donald Trump for fighting China. China. And you're right. It's a head scratcher. You listen to the Democrat debate and they try to pretend like they're going to be tough on China. I don't know if you've seen this. They've run some ads on how Donald Trump has said nice things about Xi. Um, but the truth is they don't mention it at their convention because they don't really care about it because they don't see China as a threat. And what's happened to the Democrat Party is they've left the working men and women of America and they've become this elitist, radical uh, party that cares more about um, about, you know, segmenting the population, whether it's, you know, minorities, women, transgender, gay, um, we'll, we'll, we'll segment the, America and, and Democrats will try to play to that base as opposed to the men and women who make this country work, which is um, the blue collar boot wearing Americans. Well, it, it, one more on, on the foreign policy aspect of it before we move on, because I got some questions for you on, on, on that stuff. But I, I remember distinctly in, in 2012, uh, many of the very same people who were on camera last night telling us we needed to support Joe Biden for his foreign policy were the same people who were, were being trotted out to ridicule Mitt Romney for daring to suggest that that Russia might actually be a problem. And and now suddenly they believe the Russians stole the election. And, and oh, my gosh, we, we should never have said what we said about Mitt Romney. I, I'm just not sure why we should put any credi- credible stock in anything these people say. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Obama famously said uh, the 1980s want their foreign policy back uh, when Mitt Romney was going after China. You, you, you're, you're right. These are the same people who continually have gotten foreign policy wrong. And there's, you know, Eric, they're shameless. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you know, the whole Russia gate, the Russia investigation, Russia collusion, Russia interference. And these are the same people who you're right in 2012 were like, Russia's not a problem. Russia's great. What we see is they'll, they'll mold their attacks um, uh, not based on fact, but based on, you know, what they think they can, they can uh, leverage, at, you know, during that day or that month, whether it's, again, it's, it, Russia is the same thing as what's happened with COVID. I mean, they've played out COVID. I think it was, COVID is serious, but is it so serious that we shut down the economy? We don't, you know, send kids back to school. They see this as a political attack more so than, uh, I think, a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, I just it, it was frustrating, and and so now it, let's 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 move in into more of the, the domestic stuff here. You you saw the Democrats last night. I I I've, I heard the word Latinx, which no one uses. Um, the the various groups that Donald Trump has oppressed. I didn't really hear anything about jobs other than that they're trying to blame the president instead of the virus for destroying the economy. And I just I think it's fascinating. They were angry at the president and Republican governors for not shutting down states. And now when they finally did shut down the states, suddenly it's their fault as opposed to the virus for wrecking the economy. So I was when they were doing this, Eric, I was calling that out. This is an easy game plan there. They were their Democrat governors. Democrat mayors trying to shut down the American economy. And by shutting down the American economy, you're going to destroy jobs. 
You're going to you're going to destroy growth. And in the end, after they were going to, after Democrats shut down the American economy, they were going to come back and blame it on Donald Trump. And that's exactly what they've done. Um, and President Trump is the one who's been trying to go, how do we smartly navigate um, the, the virus? How do we actually, you know, look at certain hotspots and maybe close those hotspots down, but let the rest of the country continue to operate? And again, I think they have no credibility. And I think Americans uh, understand that a, that a pandemic, a virus, is not Donald Trump's fault. And I think the president has been smart to go, listen, this is the China virus. This came from China. This is not an American virus. This was not created in America. It wasn't, it, you know, it, it wasn't spread to start in America. And so let's put the blame where it actually belongs. But the benefit that I don't think Democrats see is when we're going to look to who can. Oh, did I lose your cell phone there, Sean? Uh, cell phone service. Well, I, I believe that we have lost the former congressman there. Oh, that's disappointing. I actually had other questions I wanted up. Oh, maybe he's calling back. Um I think Sean's going back cuz cuz I wanted to have say, I wanted to ask him a couple of other questions. So, let's see. Yep. All right. I think we've got him back. Maybe possibly. All right. Uh we we lost you there for a second. I don't know what happened. It's Ameri- I'm Northern Wisconsin technology, Eric. I, just, I, I dropped you. I apologize. That's all right. You, you know, so I wanted to ask you about Wisconsin because there was a funny news story this morning that, that Democrats in Wisconsin are livid after all the branding. They put the the state of Wisconsin and the logo. Suddenly the Democrats stripped it out last night. There's an America in there. And, and you would never know that that was a convention in Milwaukee. I know. And what's great is, you know, Hillary Clinton forgot about Wisconsin, right? Fam- famously, she didn't show up. She thought she had our state locked up. And um, lo and behold, they said, well, we're going to make sure that Wisconsin understands that we Democrats care. So we're going to go to Milwaukee. But you're right. They take logos out of the state. No one shows up in Wisconsin. Donald Trump was here on Monday. Mike Pence is going to be in Wisconsin today. Um, and it shows that we haven't forgotten. And what's interesting, Eric, is if you're concerned about COVID, you know, Joe Biden's hiding in his basement. He gets on a private plane. I mean, the campaign mm-hmm. has a private plane for the Democrat nominee. He's not sitting with the rest of us. He's on his own right. plane that would fly to Wisconsin. He could do an event. Um, but here's what else is interesting. I don't know if this is going on in other states around the country. I'm sure it is. But in Wisconsin, the Trump campaign is knocking thousands of doors. And knocking doors in campaigns actually works. It matters. We've done it for 40 years because it works. Mm-hmm. So they're wearing masks, they're social distancing, but they're making contact with Wisconsin voters. The Democrat campaign, the Biden campaign, they're sitting in their offices. They're afraid. They don't, they, they don't knock one door. They don't do anything but text people and call people. And they can't, they can't go out into the public because Joe Biden doesn't go out into the public. And what message would that send if the, if the Biden campaign went out <laughs> and, and knocked doors? And if Joe Biden hid in his basement. So because Joe Biden hides in the basement because he can't make an articulate sentence, the campaign has to hide in their campaign offices. We are going to win Wisconsin. I am more confident than ever. After you look at the issue deck, this radical leftist, socialist, communist, um, Democrat party, and the Trump campaign with America first and how hard we're working, how organized we are. Our data is kind of like what, what Barack Obama had in 2012. And Democrats are where Mitt Romney was on the data side. 
we've, we, I mean, we have worked this for four years. We are going to absolutely, I mean, it's, it's a tough state in Wisconsin, but we're going to win here. And I think we're going to win um, across the country and Trump's going to have a pretty easy victory. Well, that's good to hear from from Wisconsin because, you know, door-to-door does matter. And, and it really is striking to me that uh, every appearance Joe Biden doesn't do and every question he doesn't take makes every question he does take more and more important. And I, I just I'm, – I'm flabbergasted by the campaign's inability to, to actually figure out a way to get yeah. him out there. And, and at this point, I'm thinking they don't want to get him out there. Well, anyone who's running a campaign, metal sharpens metal. The more you campaign, the more hard questions you get – the better the candidate gets at answer, answering hard questions. Any mm-hmm. candidate will tell you that. I'm, I'm, I'm no different. The first couple of times you go out, you get beat up. You're like, God, that was horrible. But you get better. Joe Biden has Yeah, I remember your before. first campaign, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I am grateful for your help in that first campaign. You're very generous to me. Um, thank you. Uh, and listen, I took on a 42-year incumbent, but you work hard. You can't hide in your basement and, um, and think that you're going to be effective even taking questions from from from, from local media, it, it doesn't actually work. But if you talk about the excitement um, in our state, because the, the the Trump campaign offices don't have enough swag, what you've seen is small business owners opening Trump stores all across our state. They're selling Trump socks, Trump shirts, Trump hats. They're giving out Trump signs. That didn't happen with Reagan or Clinton or Obama. I've never seen this before. The energy that you have of people who love President Trump, and it goes back to your first question, because Donald Trump is fighting for them. They finally have someone who's going to take on China, take on illegal immigration, have a strong military, smart, not no regulation, but smart regulation. Um, that's what, you know, these people that, that work to make this, this country operate want, and Donald Trump has delivered it, and they're buying his socks. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I, I want to ask you one, one more question before you get out of here. And, and this is more personal to, to uh, you and Rachel. Is What are you guys doing with, with your kids set up for, for school? Because I know y'all, y'all have more kids than Christy and me, but we, we've struggled with it. We've decided to send our kids back to school. They start tomorrow. And, and I know it's stressing people out, but I, I do think that the viral rate in Wisconsin is better than what we've we've got in Georgia here. But I'm, I'm just curious someone else's perspective who's who's going through this. So we, we have nine kids, and Eric, we were a disaster as – I think I'm a good parent, but we were a disaster as homeschool Oh, listen, parents. ours are better kids. bartenders now than mathematicians <laughs> after homeschooling. Exactly right. Uh, we're sending our kids back to school. So the so we live in Wausau, Wisconsin. Our, our public schools are closed. Uh, we're going to send them all to the Catholic school, which is going to open up. Um, and, again, I, 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 I understand that kids can actually, you know, pass it. But I think kids are at a very, very low rate of having serious problems with COVID. And they're, they're four times more likely to die of the flu than of COVID is the stat that I've heard. So we're sending our kids to school. I think it's good for them. We can't lose a whole generation of kids not picking up math and science uh, from going to school. But with that said, my high school, what, what, I, what I love about this, Eric, is I, I don't know if you know how, who Howard Zinn is, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, and yeah, his unfortunately. And Marxist history that he teaches and all these schools all across America are teaching Howard's in. What's going to be great for parents is, I mean, this is in our schools. If, if, if they're homeschooling, you can, you can watch what they're being taught. But I can actually follow the class online um, when I'm sitting at home to, to see what leftist Marxist things they're teaching my kids. And I make sure I put a little tough one on them. I, I talk to them a lot about, about politics and policy and communism and socialism and freedom um, and, the, and the American founders. 
And as parents, we have, as we go, as we're talking about going back to school, we have to be better teachers of our kids. Because if you wonder why our, all these young people hate in America, they've learned to hate America in our schools. Let's not let that be our future with our kids. Let's not let the leftists get them. Get engaged with your kids and what they're learning. Because if you don't talk to them, the leftist Marxist history teacher at your school is going to talk to them and totally uh, pollute their mind and, and feed them garbage. Amen to that. Well, listen, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I know your wife is awesome. So if she's willing to send the kids back to school, that that, that reassures me. <laughs> listen, Sean, I can't thank you enough for stopping by. And my best to your wife as well. Eric, thank you so much. God bless. Have a great day and uh, keep the faith, brother. You too. Take care. Sean Duffy, uh, former congressman for Wisconsin. If y'all don't know, so I'm going to brag on Rachel, his wife, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy. Uh, she's written a number of books on parenting and, and raising kids and raising them with a Christian worldview. Uh, I, I think the world of Sean and Rachel, uh, they are genuinely, genuinely grounded, good people. Uh, he gave up a, a congressional career where he was on the fast track to leadership, uh, and when she gave birth to a child with special needs, was willing to to give all that up and, and move home to, to be a dad to, to the kids. And I just, I can't, I, I can't say enough nice things about Sean and Rachel both. Uh, delightful to have him with me. And, and if the Duffies are sending their kids to school, that, that reassures me we're headed in the right direction because they're on top of things. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. It is 53 after the hour. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, uh, allegedly, uh, since, since, since we're still largely a Georgia show, I, I feel comfortable telling you guys this. Allegedly, possibly, uh, rain is, is moving into the state uh, today and, and into tomorrow. In fact, if you're in uh, North Georgia, just north of Jasper, between Jasper and LJ now, you've actually got a line of showers uh, stretching from Jasper all headed towards Clayton. But uh, everywhere else in the state is fine right now. I'm just I'm, I'm telling you this, though, be on guard. Listen to your local radio station. Radio stations give you better weather than the weather guy on TV anyway. Um, so now um unless you're in Macon and Ben Smith actually is really awesome um so now we we've got to we 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 got to move on to other stuff we got a lot of stuff and i i want to i want to circle back to a story because i've promised you guys i wouldn't let this go and i don't want you to let it go cuz i'm i passionately care really genuinely this story i have to control my rage on this story Okay. There's a deafening silence in the state of Georgia from our elected officials about the Georgia Board of Pardon and Parole. If you're a regular listener, you know the story. If you're not, let me calmly recount for you the problem. A former Troop County Commissioner was sentenced to a thousand years in jail for child pornography. I'm making sure I get his name right. Peter Mallory. Peter Mallory. Peter Mallory was sentenced to a thousand years in prison. The judge referred to him as the world's most prolific collector of child pornography. 
Peter Mallory did not just collect pictures of naked children. Peter Mallory collected videos of children being tortured and raped and abused and otherwise sexually assaulted. And Peter Mallory was sentenced to a thousand years in prison. Peter Mallory did not just collect video and images of children being raped, tortured, and abused. He set up hidden cameras in his office to videotape young women in his office. The Board of Pardon and Paroles in Georgia released him from prison after seven years. A 1,000-year prison sentence, and he was released after seven years, and the board helpfully added that he should have been released sooner because he had done what performance incentive credits. Performance incentive credits. I don't know what performance incentive credits anyone can do to reduce a 1,000-year prison sentence to seven years, but he apparently accomplished it, and the Board of Pardon and Paroles in the state of Georgia let him out of prison. He is now let loose on the population of Georgia. He apparently, from what I'm told, is in some sort of halfway house in Atlanta. The findings in court were that he had a propensity to child pornography. It, it was a compulsion. It was not just choice. It was compulsion, and, and the district attorney was opposed to letting him out of prison at any time because it was such a compulsion. The district attorney just is, he knows where these things go. And they let him out anyway. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography set loose on the citizens of Georgia thanks to the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles. And the silence from your elected officials is stunning. The silence from your legislators is stunning. The silence from the executive branch of government is stunning. You know the only people talking about this? The judiciary. They are incensed by it. I've heard from members of our Supreme Court. I've heard from members of our Court of Appeals. I've heard from uh, members of superior courts. They are infuriated by this. Where is the outrage from our elected officials who should be protecting us from the monsters who live in our state and instead are turning a blind eye to the Board of Pardon and Paroles, letting one of them back out on the street 993 years ahead of schedule? Where is the outrage? Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode featuring Mitch Daniels, president of Purdue University, the former governor of Indiana. Daniels is a former governor. He was the previous director of the Office of Management and Budget, and he's a 2013 winner of the Bradley Prize. In this episode, you'll learn more about why Purdue was one of the first universities to announce its intentions to reopen, and here's some encouraging news about the student's response to returning. He also addresses the loneliness crisis among younger people and offers guidance to federal and state leaders on managing the COVID-19 pandemic. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. New videos appear weekly, so come back often, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be notified when a new one's posted. That is bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. It's story time. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number. You want to be a part of the program. It is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. 
It's time for me to tell you guys a story as we discuss absentee ballots versus mail-in ballots. Just so you know, at the bottom of this hour, Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General of the United States, is going to join me to talk about uh, the the numbers in Georgia, the virus, and all that. So, so be here at the bottom of the hour for the U.S. Surgeon General. Um, uh, th- those of you over at the Lake Oconee area, you, you may be seeing me soon. I, I got a hankering to go over to Reynolds and and hit golf ball. So, uh, just just be prepared over there. I actually, you know, I need to get to Sea Island. I, I, I don't know how you get a reservation. They, they are full. I, I don't know you rich people who go to Sea Island. You're apparently taking all the hotel rooms. I don't even know how much they, I, I'm, I've been told, I think. I need to go hit golf ball somewhere. Uh, I guess I need to go join the Brickyard here in town. Um, in any event, y'all don't want to play golf with me. I'm bad, real bad. It's my excuse to day drink and, and, and smoke cigars, and I need to go hit golf balls. That was very random, wasn't it? Now, we need to get to this story time. The year 2000, you people, you're all worked up over Bush versus Gore. And I am in Taylor County, Georgia. Those of you who do not know, Taylor County, Georgia is two hours south of Atlanta. It's an hour south of me here in Macon, south of the Flint River Bend. And it is heads down to flat country, rows of pines, 10-point bucks, turkeys and my goodness it is a um it's it's a neat area with butler georgia and barrow automotive barrow automotive is a napa auto parts store now you get to taylor county and you get to barrow automotive and you go to the back of barrow automotive the napa auto parts store it's also one of the greatest gun stores on planet earth and i'm not kidding it is an experience. When we have friends come to Georgia, we take our friends to Butler to eat at Justin's and to go to Barrow Automotive so they can go to the back of a Napa Auto Parts store, pass the air filters and the different parts for cars and the Yeti coolers and discover the greatest gun store on planet Earth. And in the year 2000, I had to venture south to Taylor County fresh out of law school, having passed the bar exam, not yet sworn in as a lawyer. But I was, for five years, one of only six lawyers in the state of Georgia who regularly practiced elections law. There were about six of us, three Democrats, three Republicans. And I was asked to defend an election in Taylor County. Now, I had not yet been sworn in to practice law in Georgia, but as a law student, I had helped revise the election code. I had interned for Kathy Cox, uh, helped make some changes and recommendations, uh, and I wanted to do election law because I loved politics, and it was a great way to combine it. And so off I went down to Taylor County. The, The incumbent clerk of Superior Court had lost his election by 19 votes and was challenging the election. So he hired a city slicker lawyer from Columbus, Georgia, who was an Auburn grad. And the Auburn grad had no objection to me, fresh out of law school, not yet sworn into practice law, actually helping with the case. And the judge did not 
give a darn at all that, that I mean, somebody needed to know election law and, and everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, what you need to understand is with an election case to challenge it, you got to basically rush to do it. You've only got a limited amount of time to get your case filed uh, a week after certification. Uh, you got to rush in and do it. You got to round up witnesses. Well, what I was the only one in the courtroom who knew is there's a mathematical formula to determine in Georgia whether or not a a election needs to be overturned. If you want to show extraordinary fraud or doubt in the veracity of the election, there's a math formula you use. And the reason you use this math formula is because not everyone who votes votes in a particular race. So you have a thousand people who vote on election day, maybe only 750 of them voted in, in the Superior Court clerk's race. And so you can't just say, well, this the clerk lost by 19 votes, therefore I need to find 19 ballots and people who voted and, and question whether or not they were legitimate. Uh, you can't do that because you can't ask people how they voted. It's against the law to ask people how they voted. It is a sacrosanct act even in a courtroom. You're not supposed to ask people how they voted. So you have to use this formula. You can't presume that everyone voted in your race, so you need to find the difference. How many people voted overall? Let's say it's a 1,000 just to keep the math simple and 750 voted in your race in that election. Well, that means 250 people didn't vote in your election, even though they voted on election day. Well, that's your starting number. You need 200, you need to throw out 250 ballots, and then you need to take the margin of difference between the winner and the loser, which in this case was 19 votes. So it becomes 250 plus 19, which equals 269 votes. You gotta find 269 ballots to throw out. No one in the courtroom knew that other than me, and and the, the court cases in Georgia on this are, are crystal clear and, and go back 100 years that this is what you have to do, but none of them knew it except for me. This lawyer actually is like 105 votes he really needed to throw out. He thought he needed 19, and so he found 19 uh, votes that were dubious. And he typically found them through absentee ballots uh, because a, a signature on an absentee ballot did not match a voter registration card. And that's where you tend to start. You go look at the voter registration cards, you see, well, he brought some old lady. This is, y'all, it was like a scene from My Cousin Vinny. Remember the scene with the older lady in My Cousin Vinny and she puts on the glasses? And, and the same thing happened here. Older black lady, she comes in, she gets sworn in, she sits down, and the city slicker Auburn grad asked the woman, is this your brother's ballot? Yes. Do you recognize the signature? Yes. Let me show you his voter registration card from the 1950s. Do you recognize the signature? Yes. Does the signature on his ballot look like the signature on his voter registration card? No. Now, let me pause here. My signature is different from when I signed my voter registration card. This signature on this ballot was dramatically different. It was a bubbly female writing versus the, the chicken scratch scrawl of a man from the 1950s signing a voter registration card. And the lawyer says, ma'am, is, is the signature on your brother's absentee ballot the signature on your brother's registration card? And she says, no. He says, ma'am, do you know who signed your brother's absentee ballot? And she says, well, I signed it. 
And the lawyer says, ma'am, read underneath the signature line on the absentee ballot. And there's a little block underneath the signature line, and it says that only the voters allowed to sign this ballot. It is a violation of Georgia law for anyone other than the voter to sign the voter's signature on the absentee ballot unless it is indicated that the voter had help. And this ballot had no indication that the voter had help. And the woman's voice begins to break when she reads it. And she says she had to do it. And the judge politely intervenes and he says, ma'am, you're not in trouble. This is just an inquiry. Why did you help? Did you cast your brother's ballot? She says, I voted for him. He told me who to vote for like we always do. I filled in the bubbles for him and I signed it for him, but he watched me and they were his votes. And the judge says, ma'am, well, why didn't your brother sign his absentee ballot, given that what the block says is is only the voter can sign it? And she just says, matter of fact, well, he done got his hands ripped off into cotton gin. <laughs> Had some time ago. Now, this voter, the reason he wasn't there, he died. This voter died the day after the election. His vote counted because he was alive on election day. But he died the day after election day, so his sister was the witness. He done got both his hands ripped off into cotton gin. Now, they brought in this other other voter. Now, for those of you listening and don't understand, uh, Taylor County, it's rural. It, it's fairly poor. Uh, a lot of a lot of agriculture industry down there. Um, I believe it's predominantly black. I, I don't think we had a white witness that day. Had another guy come in, older black gentleman. City Slicker lawyer had found him. This, this dude said he had been intimidated. He was intimidated. And got him on the stand. And the the lawyer says, I forget the man's name, but he says, sir, you will you confirm for the court you told me that you were intimidated? The man says, I, I, I'm intimidated. At which point the judge slams the gavel down and says, sir, we take this matter very seriously. Everyone clear the courtroom, clear the courtroom, everybody out, bailiff direct, everybody out, everybody goes out, everybody closes the door, they go away. It's just us lawyers, the man on the stand, and the judge. And the judge turns to the man and he says, sir, we take very seriously voter intimidation in this state, and I would like to know if you can, with just the lawyers and me here, tell me who intimidated you into voting. The man looked at the judge. He says, I ain't intimidated in voting. And the judge said, you just said you were intimidated. He says, yeah, I'm intimidated. I ain't never been in a courtroom before. I'm not making this up. All of you people were worried about Bush versus Gore in 2000, and I'm worried about 19 votes in Taylor County a week and a half after the election, and I'm the only fool in the courtroom who knows anything about Georgia election law. And that city slicker lawyer who who, who let me slide through because he thought I was a young buck and wouldn't know anything, um, I, I totally outmaneuvered him um, because he thought he could just get these 19 people. Well, he couldn't He couldn't even find 19. I mean, arguably the one lady, uh, she should technically have thrown it out. There's no way the judge was going to throw it out given the circumstances, uh, and he couldn't find it. And so the case was dismissed. Now, I do believe that clerk of court actually came back four years later and won re-election. Uh, but, you know, the clerk of courts in small counties tend to be powerful positions uh, and well-connected people. And 
Um, it, it's just, it, it was very, very funny. They did a very bad job. Uh, and I tell you that story to tell you this. I know about absentee ballots and I know about mail-in ballots and I have tried cases and defended cases and defended elections and worked to overturn elections uh, based on absentee ballots. And the biggest security flaw in an absentee ballot is this. You can sign your voter registration card in 1950 like that gentleman and have your hands ripped off in a cotton gin years later and someone else has to sign your ballot and you there are all sorts of questions as to whether or not you really voted or not. Uh, your absentee ballot request form can be mailed to you without though without having to have photo ID and it arrives at the home and you give them the address, it aligns, but yet you've actually moved years ago and someone is at your house using your name to cast your ballot. There are all sorts of security problems. Uh, we are he hearing on a daily basis in the news that there are never any security problems. You know what? They're actually not significant. They're, they're actually, I am unaware of any circumstances wherein enough absentee or mail-in ballots were used fraudulently to overturn an election. But you know, in a close election, never say never, it could happen. And that Democrats are out there now saying mail-in ballots and absentee ballots are the same thing is a lie. Uh, the difference between mail-in ballots is some states actually mail every single registered voter a ballot. Whether you want one or not, you get a ballot in the mail. And with an absentee ballot, you actually have to request the ballot. And if you request the ballot, that's actually has more integrity than just mailing everybody a ballot. In Nevada, you're supposed to request an absentee ballot, and the Democrats in Nevada just changed the law in the middle of an election so that they're going to mail every single registered voter an absentee ballot, or mail every voter a ballot without having to have them apply for it, and they haven't cleaned up their voter rolls. Nevada, home of the mob in Las Vegas, is ripe for voter fraud. And if you listen to the media, they would tell you mail-in ballots and absentee ballots are the same thing, which is not necessarily true. There are 50 states, 50 election codes, and 50 processes. And they would tell you there have never been cases of voter fraud. That's baloney. They just indicted and, and threw in jail a postal worker in Wisconsin, I believe it was, for ripping up people's ballots if he thought they were Republicans. Not enough to change the outcome of an election, but it happened. Let's not pretend this stuff doesn't happen. Uh, there are real issues out there, and the way the media is so broken by Donald Trump and hates him so much, you can't get an accurate read on voter fraud and absentee and mail-in ballots. They want you to believe they're the exact same thing when they're absolutely not. Uh, an absentee ballot is a mail-in ballot, but not all mail-in ballots are absentee ballots. A woman is a human, but not all humans are women. It's the same situation here. Not all mail-in ballots are absentee ballots, and in some cases, they just mail them to the registered voters in addresses. And you know, in Florida, there have been num numerous circumstances where absentee ballots were mailed. In the last couple of years, I used to document this stuff all the time. In, in Florida, there was actually, a, a, in Palm Beach County, no less, a, a migrant worker apartment uh, where they mailed ballots, and they went 10 different ballots to one location, and no one actually lived there anymore but yet the requests had been filed. Nobody knows who, who filed them. Uh, stop telling me that you can't have fraud. And the, the most amazing thing here is that the Democrats institutionally, fundamentally have decided that it wasn't Hillary Clinton in 2016 who was a terrible candidate. It was the Russians who stole the election. And now instead of having you show up on election day, they want you to put your ballots in a mailbox, sight unseen, and trust that the Russians are not going to run a psyops operation to steal or alter your ballots or replace them with other ballots. And yet they also believe that a single person, namely Donald J. Trump, president of the United States, States can disrupt the mail enough to steal the election, and yet they want you to do it anyway.
makes you wonder how sincere they are in their belief that the Russians stole the election in 2016. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General, will be joining me at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Before we get there, though, all this is something I didn't expect to have to talk about today. (sighs) Porn in virtual school. Henry County here in Georgia, south of Atlanta. The sheriff's office, we're we're one week into this and they've had enough. Teenage boys streaming pornography into Zoom calls or the girls explicitly showing themselves off. And the Henry... (laughs) We live in a fallen world. The Henry County Sheriff's Office has decided... Uh, that it needs the kids to know they will haul their butts into juvie court and and arrest them so fast, and they will be labeled as sex offenders for the rest of their life if they do if they do not cut it out. They are tired of getting reports from teachers encountering the porn. Um, and you know, I I got to tell you something. This goes full circle to my conversation with you yesterday about human trafficking and the like. Um, kid, you know. There are devices you can get for your home internet. Uh, one of them we use in our house is called Circle. Uh, Disney markets it. Uh, it's called Circle. It is a little device that plugs into the wall. You use an app on your phone, and your Circle then it acts as your gateway monitor to the internet. So you can set it up so that your kids, for example, in our house, anyone who comes to our house can't use Snapchat and can't use TikTok. Uh, we don't allow those to be accessed off our home internet. And then if you have an iPhone, an an iOS device from Apple, uh, there is a, uh, in the settings, you'll see something called screen time. If you have family plans or not, you can do it directly on your kids' phones. You can limit uh, their access to certain apps. You can limit their access to the internet to certain times a day. You can try to limit uh, what they find in search results and YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, you got to educate yourself on these things, and I probably need to be a little more proactive. I don't want to bore people uh, with this stuff, but also do know that there are parents who really struggle. What, what do you do? And, and I've had friends whose kids have gone down rabbit holes on the Internet. One thing I, I will tell you very seriously is you should explain to your kids that there are a lot of dark things on the Internet that curiosity can kill the cat and can grab hold of the mind of a child and drag them down rabbit holes that they don't want to go down on the internet. And it's worth having a frank conversation about your kids uh, because oftentimes I think when it very much like racism and, and conspiracy theories and stuff, when you try to shut the stuff out and, and not engage with it, then your kids get curious and there are ways to tell your kids that, you know, there's stories on a regular basis of people who got onto the Internet, stumbled into darkness and couldn't get out of their mind and led them astray. The, the, the devil lays and lies in wait on the Internet waiting for your kid to, to stumble upon something. And with pornography in particular, it's so readily accessible unless you use something like a circle app or the, the Apple screen time thing. 
your kids go in search of this stuff, particularly teens, and it really entraps them. It ensnares them. And there's a, a just copious body of research now out there on how addictive it is and how it alters minds, particularly of teens. Uh, these are things that you need to engage with your kid on and have these frank conversations and let them know that there is darkness on the Internet. There is evil out there and you can find it all on the Internet and they got to be careful where they go. They they need to be made aware of it. And you yourself should get something like this circle device. You can get it at Best Buy, put it on your home Wi-Fi and block your kids from going down that road if you can help it. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me from Washington, D.C., the Surgeon General of the United States, Jerome Adams. How are you, sir? Thank you for doing this. I am well. Good to be with you again. So I, I, I want to ask you out of the gate, um, there's there's a story in the Atlanta Journal about the Georgia situation where the New York Times and others say that Georgia is now a, a state where the virus is in decline and the daily numbers look good. And apparently the, the White House has some concern about hot pockets of, of the virus in the state of Georgia and where we actually are and what we're doing. And, and wondering if you had any insight on that. Well, absolutely. It's important for the people of Georgia to know that we tend to look at places as being in green, yellow, or red situations like a stoplight. If, you're, if your positivity rate is less than 5%, you're in the green zone. If you're 5 to 10%, you're in the yellow zone. And if you're greater than 10%, then we consider you to be in the red zone and, and have a really a, a large amount of community spread. Georgia as a state is in the red zone for testing positivity which again means over 10% of the tests are coming back positive. But about 25% of these new cases in the last three weeks are in three counties, Fulton, Gwinnett, and Cobb. So it's not evenly distributed, even though you look at state averages as being in the red. And one of the things I've done is traveled to Georgia twice in the last month, really to both to Fulton County and to Gwinnett County, uh, to help people understand uh, that, hey, uh, you've got a fair amount of spread in your communities, and there are simple public health measures you can take to drive down that spread. I know across the country and in Georgia, for instance, masks have become political and controversial, but here's the science. The science says if you take three basic public health measures, washing your hands, watching your distance, meaning staying six feet from others and avoiding crowded indoor spaces, and uh, wearing a mask, that you can significantly decrease transmission of disease, and that increases our chance of opening schools, getting back to worship, getting back to sports, seeing the Bulldogs play again. Now, I, I, I know I'm going to get listeners who, if I don't ask this question, they're going to get mad at me. So, so let me ask it. I, I've heard you explain it before, but just for the listeners, uh, several months ago, uh, Dr. Fauci, yourself and others were, were discouraging mask use by the general population and have subsequently changed to people should wear masks and, and wanted to give you an opportunity to ex- explain the evolution of thought on, on why everyone should wear masks. So there is a term that people may be hearing a lot, but that they may not understand, and that's, uh, that term is asymptomatic spread. So important to know that the virus that causes COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, actually comes from a family of viruses that also include the common cold. And Eric, if you and I were in a room and I had a cold, chances are you would know it. I would be sneezing, coughing, watery eyes, runny nose, um, fever, and you would say, whoa, doc, you don't look so good, and I've got to do a radio show tomorrow, so uh, I need to stay away from you, or you should go home. 
And that's what we thought coronavirus, the, the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, was going to do, uh, that you would be able to tell uh, that people were symptomatic. Uh, but unfortunately, what we discovered in March and in April was that uh, uh, in many cases, especially younger people, can spread this disease and look just fine. They are asymptomatic. And so that's why we changed the recommendations, uh, because what we learned about the virus uh, changed. And uh, we, we now recommend that people wear a mask, not to, so much to protect yourself, but to protect other people from you having uh, a, a, the ability to spread this disease asymptomatically. And if, if enough people wear it, it's kind of like a vaccine. If enough people get it, you don't just protect yourselves, you protect everyone around you. Well, and, and, and let's hone in on that point for a minute because I've been I, I've heard you you say this uh, and and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others and it, it just it, it seems to to I, I don't know fly over people's heads or something I'm, I'm trying not to be insulting with with people but that it, it, this you wearing the mask if we presume that we have the virus and we don't know we're protecting other people it's not that you wear the mask to prevent someone from giving you the virus it's you wear the mask to prevent you from having it not knowing it and giving it to someone else you said it perfectly and even people who wear masks in many cases don't understand the primary reason why they're wearing it they still think that they're wearing it primarily to protect themselves but the number one reason is that again you could be asymptomatic uh, you could not know that you have the virus and be spreading it. And that occurs again in up to 50% of, of, of cases of spread of this virus. And, uh, you know, the good thing is that uh, younger people do tend to be asymptomatic, which means that most of them actually don't have uh, severe complications from this virus. Uh, but the bad part is they're spreading it and it's getting into nursing homes. It's getting uh, into uh, environments where people have, uh, have comorbidities and, uh, and diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure that put them at higher risk of dying from this virus. And, uh, again, people talk about masks as inhibiting their freedom, uh, this, this terrible uh, thing that, that, that is uh, so onerous to them. I think back to World War II. World War II, for six years, they were drafting young people from our country and sending them to go in bunkers for months at a time and be shot at. Uh, I'm not asking anyone to do that. What I'm asking them to do is to take basic public health measures, wash your hands, keep six feet from other people, and wear a mask. And if you do it for uh, the next couple of months, because the other thing people are worried about is how long do I have to do this for? Tony Fauci, uh, the best virologist in the world, assures me that he still thinks we'll have a vaccine that is safe, effective, and widely distributed by the end of this year or beginning of next year. So all we've got to do is make it through Christmas, New Year's, following these public health measures. And if we get through that, then by next spring, I really do believe we will be back to a new sense of normal. And we can do it while reopening, the biggest um, determinant of whether or not places are closing. I mean, and this is just the honest truth, Eric. It, it, the biggest determinant of whether or not places are open or closing is background community spread. So if you want restaurants open, schools open, churches open, uh, then, then help us out, people. Help us out by, by choosing to do the right thing. Nick Saban and I, uh, and I know uh, he's not real uh, popular there in Georgia. Yeah, I know he's not okay, real you went there. Georgia, but he and I, uh, I had a conversation with the Alabama football team on, uh, on Monday night. And Nick Saban uh, said that, uh, and, and I love this, he said, the freedom of choice in a democracy relies on people making decisions with integrity. Uh, Georgia Governor Kemp has said, I'm not going to force you 
to do something. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility in a democracy to make decisions with integrity. And I'm asking you, based on everything we know about the virus right now and protecting your loved ones and neighbors around you, to make a decision to wear a mask, wash your hands, and watch your distance, my three W's. Look, that's sound advice. Let, let me before you get off of here. I, I know our time is limited, but I, I just I, when when people hear asymptomatic, well, well actually, you know, it, two quick questions for you. I, I hope one is on asymptomatic. It, it seems like I've read now that the, the data suggests that asymptomatic people may not spread it as much as pre-symptomatic people, but they're still going to spread it, and and people shouldn't assume asymptomatic means you're not going to spread it. That is exactly true. When we look at, uh, at kids, uh, there was actually a study uh, where they took viral samples from their nose, and those viral samples were as high and in some cases higher than adults who actually had the virus and were symptomatic. And so you, even though you may be fine it, uh, or, you, or you may not die from the virus, and that's, that's the other thing. People look at deaths and they say, I'm not going to die from it. Uh, 99% of people live through this. Well, they do. Uh, a whole lot bigger percentage of people go on to have chronic medical conditions, uh, uh, myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, um, uh, chronic fatigue, uh, real issues uh, as a result of the, getting the virus, and they also, again, can spread it to a loved one. And if simply wearing a mask means that someone else's grandmother or your grandmother will live to see another birthday, then to me that is a small price to pay. You can still spread the disease even if you don't know you have it and even even if you don't get sick or die from it. Okay. My last question for you is, and I'm, I'm, I struggle to articulate this one, but I, I, I've heard you talk a little bit about this before, and, and, and I really like the way you think on this issue that do we do we run the risk in the country and again i struggle to 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 articulate it well but there's so much information about a virus that we didn't even know existed 8 months ago and the data changes constantly uh the stream of information people can be hung up on something we thought we knew in february that they still think is true today but we learned in june isn't true anymore and the amount of time that you as surgeon general have to spend just debunking stuff that we thought was true in February that we now know isn't true. Well, that's true. What I would say to people is it is no more or less true than chocolate or coffee or wine or the things out there that we hear one day are, are prolong your life and the next day they, they don't. Science isn't about uh, being right 100% of the time. Science is about uh, being, being vigilant about, number one, collecting the data that's available right now and making the best recommendations and policies we can based on the data we have right now, but also having the humility to continue to collect that data and to adjust your recommendations when you actually find out that the data has changed. And so the mask situation, in all honesty, is exactly how science is supposed to work. We looked at everything we knew about coronavirus way early when we first uh, learned about this new strain. And we said, based on everything we know about other coronaviruses, we recommend that the general public doesn't need a mask. That was science at work at the time. And then we had the vigilance to continue to look at the data because we could have buried our heads in the sand and said, nope, this is what we said, we're not going to change. But that's not science. Science is continuing to look at the data. And once we found that the data was telling us this virus behaved differently, we changed our recommendations on masks. And so I want people to understand when a scientist or a health official changes a recommendation, 
It doesn't mean that they were um, nefarious or incompetent earlier on. It means that they were vigilant and, and, and humble enough to, uh, to, to own up to, hey, what we thought we knew back then was wrong, and I'm trying to give you the best and most accurate information today that I can. So uh, give your doctors, give your health officials, give your scientists a break and understand that they're trying to do right by you. Also go to trusted resources, coronavirus.gov, or go to the State Department of Health website uh, so that you understand your local uh, statistics, your local data, and that you uh, understand how to keep yourself safe because we've got a pandemic of misinformation just as much as we have a pandemic of virus out there. Surgeon General Adams, listen, thank you so much for taking the time. This is really helpful. I appreciate you stopping by and talking about it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity because one of the things that – uh, I just honestly don't like anymore is doing national media. You know, there's no page in the pandemic playbook for an impeachment trial or a presidential <laughs> election or right. a social justice movement, the likes of which we haven't seen since the 60s. And it puts a, a different lens or frame on trying to get out the basic scientific information. People may hear you and think that they're listening to science or think that they're hearing it through a scientific lens, but it's really tinted through the lens of how do I feel about this candidate or that candidate? How do I feel about this other agenda that I've got going on? And so I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation on a local level with, with someone like yourself. And I appreciate that you ask the tough questions that the people out there have and deserve an answer to. And I just ask the people out there to continue to seek out the most accurate information, uh, continue to uh, have faith in scientists, uh, that, that they're going to do the right thing and give you the most accurate information and continue to do your part, wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. That's how we get through this. And uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in short order, um, but uh, we'll get there quicker and with less loss of life if everyone does their part. Well, and, and hopefully no one passed out when you quoted Nick Saban. So <laughs> 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 thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Take care. Have a good one and stay safe. You too. Surgeon General Jerome Adams of the United States. Uh, really, really a nice guy. I, I, I didn't know what to expect in sitting down with the Surgeon General. Uh, and he is he is a sharp guy. And I really do hope that you guys, as, as my preacher sometimes says, um, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest what he just said. He's a good guy. Oh, I love this. The um, <laughs> Wendy Davis, who is running for Congress next, you know, abortion Barbie. She's she was the one uh, Kermit Gosnell, the, the murderer of children, the abortion clinic operator who led women deliver in toilets uh, was a local crime story. And then when Wendy uh, Davis put on her pink running shoes and suddenly she was a national hero in the media's eyes. For, for unsuccessfully filibustering a pro-life law in Texas. She's running for Congress now. She had a failed gubernatorial bid running for Congress. You know, they're all about ballot access, those Democrats. They, they all want, put people on the ballot. People should be able to get on the ballot. They should make it easy to vote, e easy to run for office. She's suing to get off the ballot the Green Party candidate in her district. Uh, the Green Party candidate was the Democratic nominee two years ago for that district. Uh, Texas 21, and is now running as Green Party candidate. Davis is suing to throw off the ballot, claiming she was late with her filing fee. <laughs> wow. Um, suddenly the Democrats won't care about ballot access. Uh, that, that district, by the way, full disclosure, my friend Chip Roy, longtime friend, 
he is the current congressman in that district, and it is a it's going to be a must watch race. Um, the southern end of that district is anchored in the northern suburbs of San Antonio, and the s- northern end of the district is anchored by the southern uh, suburbs of Austin, Texas. And uh, so you got liberals on both ends and conservatives in between. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what actually happens in that race in Texas. But it, it, it always it amazes me the hypocrisy and the double standards of so many people who um, they like something one moment and demand it until it doesn't benefit them. And then they want to throw it away like the Susan B. Anthony stuff. Susan B. Anthony is inarguably a, a feminist hero who was fined and threatened with jail for arguing for the right to vote for women in the early 1900s. And she was also a pro-lifer. Um, she was committed to the cause of the unborn and has been adopted by pro-life activists as a, a pro-life feminist hero. And the president of the United States yesterday posthumously pardoned her for the crime of trying to vote. She was charged and fined by the federal government uh, for attempting to vote in a federal election. And so the president pardoned her. And suddenly yesterday, uh, progressives came out and said, uh, you know, she's not worth being a hero. You know, people actually go to Susan B. Anthony's tombstone and put their I voted stickers on her tombstone. That's how uh, notable she is. But the president pardoned her yesterday, so suddenly she's bad. People get broken by politics. So I've I've been in a, a Twitter conversation with a guy who says he no longer listens to my radio show because I've changed. And he couldn't articulate how I changed. And he finally took some time overnight to tell me how he how I have changed. Uh, that I'm I'm just not a conservative anymore because I don't get worked up about elections in the same way he gets worked about elections. That I that I don't buy into the idea of an existential crisis. Now this will disappoint some of you, but for example, um, a Charisma Magazine is a Christian magazine that has an article out today that Donald Trump must be reelected to save the Christian faith in America. I'm sorry, those people need to repent. Do you know there are more Christians, committed, actual church-going, evangelical Christians in communist China right now than there are in the United States of America? That's right. There are more committed, believing Christians in China than in the United States right now. Their faith is thriving in persecution. Their churches get torn down, they get sent to concentration camps, and the faith continues to spread. If you think that the election of Donald Trump is necessary for the advancement of your faith, you are not worshiping the Christian God. You're not part of the Christian faith. And if you are, you need to repent. Uh, No politician is going to preserve your faith. Um, you put your faith in the God of all creation, not, not in a politician. Uh, I, and you know, I used to believe that this is the, this is the last election to save it. This is the last election. This is the last election. And now I hear all the time. I, I, I've heard people this week say, this is the line. If we don't get it right, if we don't like Donald Trump this time, socialism all the way, y'all. That's what they said in 2008. 
and the country was still there in 2012 when they said it again. And and then in 2016, and you know, I used to be one of those people. I used to be, this is our last best year. We got to do it this time. We got to turn the tide. At this, we're still here. We gave the Republicans the House, the Senate, and the White House, and they never got rid of Obamacare. Um, so are, are we past the point of no return? Or is this this time? This time? We got to do it this time or else. And you know what? In four years, when we have another election, it's this time or else. No, I'm, I'm, I, I saw the error of my ways. And so this person who's upset with me that I've changed and he no longer listens to me, the reason he no longer listens to me is because I am not a a, a, a raging hyperbolist on the election. Uh, I'm not a raging hyperbolist on, on the, the dour stakes. You know what? There are stakes in every election, but no one in Washington gets anything done anymore except by executive order. Donald Trump was able to wipe out the legacy of Barack Obama because Barack Obama did everything through executive order and the president repealed them all. And if Donald Trump gets elected, if Joe Biden gets elected, he'll repeal every single thing Donald Trump did by executive order. And then in four years, if a Republican is elected, they'll do the same thing with Joe Biden. I'm kind of done on the this is the last election to save the country because people have been telling me that for 20 years now and the country's still here and people are just I mean, run around like chickens with their head cut off. I'm, I'm kind of done being hyperbolous. I, I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. I'll vote for the president, but spare me the end of the world outrage. The world's going to be here tomorrow unless Jesus comes back. And man, I wish he would. Now that's a parking spot. Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.